Noteworthy Show. Welcome to the Love Noteworthy Show, the guide to leading your life with passion, purpose, perspective, and prosperity. Each week, we feature entrepreneurs, influencers, game changers, and change makers who provide powerful strategies for creating a remarkable first impression that leaves a lasting impact in your business, career, community, and personal life. So come join us as we transform your mindset and teach you the lessons you want and need to become Love Noteworthy. Welcome back, lovers, to another episode of the Love Noteworthy Show. I have massive, ginormous, gigantic, huge, ginormous, I think I already said that, news for you. Okay, so I just checked iTunes yesterday and found that on iTunes Canada, the Love Noteworthy Show is ranked number one in both the business and education sectors of podcasts for new and noteworthy, which is huge. And this would not be possible without all of you amazing listeners who consistently have been listening to each episode as we've aired them. So I want to send out a huge thank you to you. And so I'm just kind of on a high right now. Oh, and the show is also listed as number four for all podcasts in Canada. So check it out. You can see it on the front page of your iTunes. And today I have a really special episode to kind of celebrate this. And this is with an incredible woman. Her name is Leslie Scorgy. And so Leslie, uh, at the ripe age of, I believe, 17, she was actually on Oprah to talk about financial management. Yes, at 17. And then went on to publish three actual like published via publisher, not an ebook, but also an ebook <laughs> books. Um, and the first one was rich by 30. Uh, uh, the second one is rich by 40. And then the third one, which recently came out this year is really awesome. And we're going to talk about it all throughout the episode. So I won't spoil it for you. But throughout this episode, we talk a lot about financial management. It doesn't matter what age you are. Being conscious of your finances is so important. Um, and I, I guarantee it's very interesting. And Leslie also talks about her processes of publishing the books and sort of how she did that, as well as her new upcoming project, which is called LearnVest, which all of you are going to want to subscribe to as soon as it's launched, which will be very soon. But in the meantime, check out this episode. I've done up a couple special notes in the show notes at resims.com. So you can just go to www.resims.com slash 10, as in for episode 10. And there I have the top five list of song lyrics from female hip hop artists that talk about money because, you know, all of us want to love and love to hate dirty, sexy money. So why not incorporate some of that into the show? Anyways, thank you so much again for listening into the Love Noteworthy show. And I hope you enjoy episode number 10 featuring Leslie Scorgi of LearnVest. Welcome back, lovers, to the Love Noteworthy podcast. I'm so ecstatic today to be speaking to an exceptional young Canadian woman who has accomplished more in the last 15 years than most will accomplish in a lifetime. Hey, Leslie Ann, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Are you? <laughs> really, really good. Um, like I said, I'm so happy to be chatting with you today. I know we've been trying to connect and collaborate for quite some time. It's been a couple months for sure. Um, and for those of you who don't know Leslie Ann, 
She is truly the embodiment of what it means to be love noteworthy. She's been a guest on the Oprah Winfrey Show, a best-selling author of multiple books that make wealth management, finance, and savings simple and fun, a columnist for Metro News, guest on numerous shows including MTV, CBC, and The Marilyn Dennis Show, as well as more. And because of that, very unsurprisingly, she's been recognized as one of the top 40 under 40, top 100 most powerful women in Canada, as well as many other well-deserved accolades for her exceptional work in bringing financial education and management to young people and helping them realize their true worth. So (laughs) that's a brief introduction to her. One of the things that um, I'm personally very interested about is what exceptional things people have done in their childhoods and their humble beginnings. And I know that you had a very avid interest in finance and savings from a very young age. How did you gain interest in it? It's a great question, and it is somewhat unusual to have that interest so early on. And I think that some of it started well before I bought my first Canada savings bond at the age of 10. I always grew up... um, with parents that talked about money, both for the good and for the bad. And um, we also had, you know, piggy banks and allowances and things like that. But when I was 10 years old, I received $100 from my grandparents for my birthday. And my mom took that opportunity to ask me what it is that I wanted to do with that $100. And... I said to her, well, mom, I'm going to buy a bicycle like every normal 10-year-old would. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, let me tell you a little bit about what else you could do with that money. And she explained to me that if I bought a savings bond in about seven years from the time I purchased it, it'd be worth uh, $135. And all I had to put in was my $100 of birthday money. And... She took that opportunity to explain why that extra $35 was important, and that was the power of compounded interest and reinvested returns. And at that point, I didn't realize how powerful that would be for growing my own nest egg now as an adult. But that initial conversation that my mom had at that point in time about how important it is to save your money and how powerful it can be uh, really kind of sparked my interest. And to be very honest, I was really keen on the idea of having somebody else give me free money, essentially. (laughs) And so my, uh, my mom said, well, you know that you can have both. And I said, well, I don't understand how I can have both, Mom. Like, it doesn't make sense. I want to now, I wanted to buy the bond, but I also still had that, you know, normal desire to have a bicycle. And she said, well, you've got a flyer route, and you just finished your babysitting courses, uh, so why not babysit, you know, four or five more times and deliver flyers for six or seven more weeks, and before you know it, you'll have another $100. And then you can buy your bicycle. And I did exactly what she said. I purchased my Canada savings bond. I babysat and did my flyers for a few more weeks. And before I knew it, I did have $100. And I bought my bicycle, which by that time had actually gone on sale. So that initial discussion with my mom helped pique my interest in this whole idea of having the things that I want but also being able to save at the same time. And it was very basic. And 
really simple, the concept that she presented to me. Now, every year after that, I became a little more interested in making money and keeping it and growing it through, you know, Canada savings bonds or in savings accounts and very basic vehicles for saving. And I think really what sustained my interest in money was the fact that my parents really didn't have very much between the two of them. They were both in school when I was young for almost a decade. Mm -hmm. And so our family lived uh, very, well, at the poverty line. (laughs) Make no bones about it. And we had very little. And what that meant for me as a child was I had to do without some of the normal things that kids would have, like new shoes and new clothes and things like that, some some basic stuff. And we relied on, you know, secondhand stores and hand-me-downs and things, things that were um, more affordable to have our needs, like our basic needs. Now, the reason I tell that story is because my motivation to continue saving after age 10 started to shift and it became almost like fear-based motivation. And what I mean by that is I was a little afraid of ending up in a a position similar to my parents where I wouldn't be able to afford the things that I actually wanted in life. And that really scared the living daylights out of me. And um, it also caused me a lot of anxiety as a kid. And so I really took it upon myself early on to take my mom's original advice, which was to save as much as I could when I could. And so I was always keen to have my lemonade stands and babysitters clubs and eventually, you know, get my first job at the age of 14 um, and continue to save my money so that I would eventually have options for my future, such as being able to afford to go to university or even um, to, to buy a, a buy a car someday. You know, some of the basic things that kids and teenagers want. So it started really early, um, and the more momentum I picked up with my savings, and specifically that when I started to see my money actually grow, I I got excited about it, and it really took over my my area of interest and I started investing more of my time in learning about how to make more money, how to grow it, how to spend it wisely, and how to save it for the future. That's so interesting. I actually have a similar story growing up. Um, My parents got divorced when I was at a very young age, and so they unfortunately just didn't have the financial resources to provide my brother and I with a lot of extras, so to speak. So I started working from a very young age, but... Unlike you, I don't think my uh, young maturity with financial literacy was very strong. And so <laughs> I, I worked and <laughs> made money and but it, yeah. bought stuff. And but it turns into entrepreneurship, like in your case. Yeah, exactly. So definitely this very, very similar mindset, though, in the sense that I'm like, I never want to be struggling as an adult, um, but it took me a lot longer, a.k.a. I think the year after I graduated to start actually investing in like long-term savings plans and stuff like that. So, 
fudge. Um, so I'm really interested. Uh, you make it sound very easy that you had this genuine interest in finance at a very young age. Uh, where did this intrinsic motivation come from? And what kind of things did you read up on and uh, study in order to become more financially liter- literate when you were t- 10 to 14 years old? Yeah, and I think it kind of goes back to starting off with like being a fear-based motivation, fear that I would not have enough for my teacher and that I wouldn't be able to do the same things that other kids were able to do. And Mm. so the intrinsic motivation was, in fact, fear. And Mm -hmm. it shifted, though, when I started to save and grow my money and I saw it start to grow and I was able to um, kind of shift that fear into more positive so that I recognized, oh, wow, you know, I can actually start reaching my goals here, including things like being able to afford to go to university, um, to purchase a car, uh, to even go on a trip. Um, And I, during my high school years, twice, um, saved up and went on two trips with Habitat for Humanity to Mexico to build houses. Amazing. Those were expensive trips because we paid for our own um, our own flights and accommodation, but we also had to pay for the building materials for these homes that we were building. And so things like that, whether it was a trip, school, longer-term savings, they all kind of motivated me to save my money in order to be able to afford to do some of those things that I was interested in. And I think, like, another point to make is that I wasn't entirely interested in money. It just happened that I realized a little earlier than most that when you have money, you have the freedom to do a lot more than if you don't. And so it became clear to me early that if I wanted to do things like trips, or cars or whatnot, I would just have to take it upon myself to get there myself. Yeah, that's so interesting. Now, you obviously were really, really great at saving and investing your money, but tell us how you went from being sort of a young teenager that's saving money and going on these trips to actually using that and getting featured on Oprah at 17. Sure. Um, The... The story boils down to something very simple. Okay. When I, was, when I was in high school, I had a teacher that decided to teach her class about financial literacy. And you probably recall from your education, and all of your listeners will probably recall the same thing, that financial literacy training just isn't mandated, and it's not a priority in the school system, the regular school system. Mm -hmm. Some schools touch on it from, you know, for a few hours here or there. Others have no program, and some others have more robust programs. But on the whole, across the board in North America, there's no comprehensive learning for students for financial literacy. So it was first off remarkable that my high school teacher decided to take it upon herself to spend time on the subject and to prepare class materials to help us understand how to save our money. And during her 
her sessions, her classes, she'd asked if anyone in her class wanted to help teach this important subject, how to save your money. And I volunteered because I had said, you know, I, I've got some interesting experiences saving my money, and I'm sure I can relate to my peers. So I helped her for a number of classes, uh, delivering the message of financial literacy and how important it is to save your money and how easy it is if you start young. And it just so happened, a little bit of luck and timing, Mm -hmm. that the local newspaper called my high school and asked if there are any odd or interesting students that they could profile. And so I got nominated as being an odd or interesting student (laughs) and was was profiled in the paper. And that paper, or sorry, that article was posted on the internet and discovered by the producers of the Oprah Winfrey show. So in my last year of high school, this is when this all took place. And approximately two weeks after the article appeared in the paper, I got a call after school one day from a producer at the Oprah Winfrey show. And she wanted to talk to me about my interest in saving money. And I thought, well, that's strange. You know, (laughs) this isn't rocket science. But they found my, my story quite intriguing because I was young, I was uh, a young lady, and mm-hmm. that's, um, you know, not very traditional to have a young woman in her teenage years saving and promoting the message of financial literacy. So the the interview on the phone led to them coming to my home and featuring me um, by way of video and then ultimately heading down to Chicago to meet Oprah Winfrey to talk about the importance of young people saving their money. So it was like a pretty cool experience. Uh, I went with my mom and my sister and met the most powerful woman in the world at that time. And she was great. She was incredibly encouraging of my interest in saving. And she really helped shape my career. And the, the reason I, I draw attention to that is because you've probably heard and so have your listeners about this whole, like, Oprah effect. And she mm-hmm. does affect people. And she has the ability to influence both positive and negative the way people think. And thankfully, Oprah's decided to influence people in a positive way and when she gets behind the message that's positive and empowering especially for um like younger people it really takes off and when I got back from Chicago my whole career outlook changed because I had her support and almost like an endorsement to continue to promote financial literacy for young pers- young people, but from the perspective of a young person and a young lady. And so she really helped shape my career. And before I knew it, I had a book contract and then another one and, yeah. um, and then another one. So I'm on my third now and I continue to keep in touch with them and let them know how I'm doing and they're always interested to see what what I've made of my experience 
And I think I had the opportunity to choose when I came home from that experience to either make the most of it or, um, you know, carry on not allowing it to affect my life. But I embraced it and have had an incredible time, um, I guess, shaping my career and having a positive impact uh, with other young people on such an important subject. Yeah, that's so phenomenal. Uh, Before we talk about your books, um, one of the things that you just noted is that you really wanted to focus on uh, educating on finance from a young person's perspective for young people and just from a marketing standpoint, I think that's so key, right? Because a lot of the text and information that's out there is overwhelming in a sense, just the way that it's written and who it's written for. And I think that there there are resources out there for younger people, but if there's a way to simplify it and kind of put it more into the language that they would be more willing to receive the information from, that's going to be key to inspiring them to want to take action, right? So I guess that kind of leads into your books, <laughs> in a sense. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, Rich by Inc. and the first two books in the series that you published. Um, I know that your first book, The Rich by 30, A Young Adult's Guide to Financial Success, you wrote while you were going to school, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wrote it while I was in university. So tell um, us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, So it's almost like a continuation after the Oprah experience. It was right around the time when I was deciding uh, what university I wanted to go to. And I knew I'd wanted to study business um, and potentially education. And interestingly enough, after you come back from the Oprah Winfrey show, you have a lot of opportunities, including... (laughs) You know, I was offered um, lucrative television contracts and book deals and things that a normal 17-year-old doesn't really get to entertain. And I had these opportunities to potentially not go to university and instead focus on promoting myself and saving money and and starting a career early on. I decided not to do any of those things and instead focus on school, knowing that my education is, my education would be the one thing that would be a guaranteed investment and Mm -hmm. it would have an incredibly lucrative return. And hence, I talk a lot about that in my books as as an investment opportunity for young people in particular, the, the one that has the greatest return and the greatest certainty of yeah. return. So I went to university knowing that at some point I would want to capitalize on my Oprah Winfrey experience, and it was during my marketing and management class around um, learning about market niches, but I finally got the idea for Rich by 30. And it was really simple. There were not many books on the market that were targeting young people, so under 30s, that were offering objective advice and that were fun. And so 
I I knew about all the books that were out there because I was the one that read them. And <laughs> I, I certainly had, like, a hard time connecting with them. It's, you know, it's not a, a diss to any of the authors out there who've tried in the past. It's just different when you're trying to connect with an under 30 and you may be in your 40s or 50s or you may be a financial planner and sometimes it's just not that fun. So I prepared the outline for Rich by 30 and I began the process of marketing the the concept for Rich by 30 and after many, many rejection letters, I finally got a publisher that wanted to take on the and Rich by 30 came out um, a couple of first in 2007 and within six weeks of it being out it became a bestseller and that was really exciting for me because I had been told amongst many of my rejection letters that it would be harder for me to publish a successful book because I was too young didn't have enough experience, and I think I even heard, I know I even heard that I was just a girl, and what would I know? And that just simply gave me more motivation to push harder, and so I did. So interestingly, um, Rich Way 30 really reflects that spirit of um, pursuing your dreams, and I think it became so successful because there was just a gaping hole in the market for young, under 30s, and to have access to really practical financial skills that they weren't given in their schooling or maybe not even at home. And if they were given it at home, it doesn't necessarily mean that it was great advice. Yeah. So Rich Way 30 is really basic financial information on things like savings accounts, budgeting, and uh, a little bit on investing, you know, understanding how investments work, uh, but very simple, easy to read, excellent examples, and, and fun, which is different from a lot of the books out there. Yeah. So, so shortly after, um, Rich by 30 came out, um, I attained my professional speaking designation. And I went and spoke at a variety of different conferences. And over a couple of years, I kept noticing this trend. And this just trend that, that would happen after I'd finish my presentation, I would usually have you know, one or two couples come up to me afterward and they'd be like ready to wring each other's necks <laughs> because they were fighting about money or, you know, maybe she spent their savings or he bought a truck without her consent. You know, like silly but high impact marriage issues, marital issues. Mm-hmm. And so I got the idea for my second book, Rich by 40, which is the couple's guide to um, building their bottom line or their net worth. And it was basically because I saw unnecessary um, disagreements between young couples when they should really be focusing on the health of their marriage and saving for their extremely expensive future, they were busy squabbling over silly things like um, spending habits and whatnot. 
So, um, Rich Brothers 40 was, the inspiration for it was basically through my observations, and it also became a bestseller shortly after hitting the market in 2010. That's amazing. I love both of the book titles. Like, they're just so simple and to the point. I think that people really resonate with wanting to be rich, obviously. So it's just like, oh, okay, like, I'm under 30 or I'm under 40. And the title essentially says it all, which is so great. Mm-hmm. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know there's been a couple other um, financial people. Since these books have come out, like, are you, you must know Ramit Sethi? who mm-hmm. he like has a website now that's all about I will teach you to be rich and again very like straight yeah. to the point and I like that um, yourself as well as him very much so simplify the process instead of trying to I don't know make it very challenging to understand or seem more difficult than it should be. That's right it's all about making it simple because we like simple. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's simple. And it doesn't need to be complicated. And I think what certainly when I was learning about money, the biggest irritation for me was when I would try and find information and it would be so complicated it would be over my head. And yeah. so I would just disengage from whatever material it was that I was reading or whomever I was listening to. And so that's just simply not a great approach with um young people of which I am one I know Mm -hmm. how that feels and in particular like millennials especially our attention spans are just very short I would say (laughs) patience is definitely a virtue yeah we we learn in different ways from previous generations Mm -hmm. because we have access to technology and so when we look at the time that we would spend on reading it's got to be to the point, it's got to be simple and not waste our time because we'll just transition to another method to get our information. Exactly, exactly. Um, so shifting gears a little bit, um, talking a little bit more about the book writing process. I know that uh, writing a lot of books, whether it be trying to seek out an actual publisher or self-publishing, um, there's quite a few people these days that are interested in creating their own works. So do you have any tips for people to write their books from conception to completion like how was your what was your writing process like sure um probably the biggest tip I could offer a budding writer is to really iron out an excellent outline up front and the outline is essentially a roadmap to help guide your behaviors and your actions as you are going through the writing process and without a clear outline of how you plan to achieve certain a certain outcome for your reader it's really hard to put the book together so it all starts with the big idea so what is it that you want your reader to take away from your book whether it's fiction or non-fiction and then you work through the steps of how are you going to achieve that particular outcome so for Rich by 30, the outline ends up essentially being your table of contents in many respects mm-hmm. because it walks you through the steps that I believe it takes to become proficient at saving, proficient at budgeting, proficient at investing, and working through those steps. So it doesn't need to be complicated, but 
a good book is always a well-written book. It's a well-organized mm-hmm. book. And it's usually one in which you have excellent editorial support for, um, so somebody to help you through the editing process, uh, organizing your thoughts, etc. Um, and then marketing. Marketing is a big part. If you want your book to be successful, you'll have to take it upon yourself to um, either work with a publisher on the marketing, work with a PR firm, or have a heck of a great plan to market um, with your own uh, your own, I guess, uh, people that you influence, whether it's your social media networks yeah. or your professional networks, but basically digging into your own network. So do you have any additional tips that people could take to make their book a bestseller or at least have a better chance of becoming one? It all boils down to marketing. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it almost entirely boils down to to how you plan to get it out there and get people reading it. And creativity is the biggest and best thing you can apply to the process. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Um, So let's talk a little bit about your most recent release, which came out earlier this year, Well Healed, The Smart Girl's Guide to Getting Rich. Um, I know the first two books were... They were fairly gender neutral, right? And this one's a lot more focused on young women and financial planning um, and is packed with great advice on setting budgets, allowing you to still have guilt-free fun while budgeting, getting out and staying out of debt, increasing your savings, making savvy business investments like a pro and a lot more information. Um, One of the sections that I was really interested about is living frugally without sacrificing life's indulgences. Can you talk a little bit about that? your philosophy sure sure um so i'm i had a lot of fun writing while healed uh as a young woman myself i noticed over many years another trend which is that other young women just simply um are not taking advantage of opportunities that they can improve their savings and their potential outcomes for their future and so as a as a young woman wanting to empower other young women, um, I put together all healed uh, with a lot of sass and gusto. <laughs> <laughs> um, and back to your comment about um, the whole frugal living concept. I think for women, it's really important to convey right away that, hey, you can live within your budget and still have the things that you want in life. And thinking back again to that original example I gave where I bought my Canada savings bond and six weeks later I bought my bicycle, essentially getting both of the things that I wanted. And for young women, it's really important to connect the dots early that, hey, you do need a budget and you need to live frugally. Now, I'm not suggesting you live like a cheapskate. Cheapskates mm-hmm. aren't well-liked. Um, there are <laughs> people that show up at the dinner party without the wine and, um, you know, they mooch off their friends. Um, that's not what frugal living about is about. Frugal living is about um, watching your pennies and your dollars and making sure that you are stretching them as far as it can go. So taking advantage of sales, knowing when to buy things, maybe it's even growing your own food or knitting your own clothes, whatever it is, um, 
you're essentially not wasting your dollars on things and you're not creating as great uh, an environmental footprint as people that are heavy spenders and often quite wasteful. So living frugally means that you can still have the things that you want. I, I'm really a living example of that. Like I have really nice clothes, uh, shoes. I'm like every other young lady. I, I like bags and things like that. But, um, you know, when I travel, I buy things that are on sale. I use my points. Um, when I purchase clothes, I wait for clearance sales. I wait for end of season sales. When I'm purchasing bigger ticket items like cars and homes, I negotiate hard to mm-hmm. save thousands of dollars. And that's what frugal young ladies do. They watch their dollars and make sure that they're stretching them as far as they can go without compromising on the things that they want and also without compromising on like the, the basics, right? Like you wouldn't want, nor do I encourage anyone to, for example, not purchase the medication that they need. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if they're maybe spending too much on lattes and muffins every day, you can cut some of that back and use that money to help get yourself ahead. So Well Healed is really about connecting with young women on this important subject. Unfortunately, um, young ladies are often overlooked by the financial planning community, and so they don't get a lot of attention. And I don't think that's a good thing. I think it's wrong. And so Well Healed is really trying to buck that trend. That's great. Um, You touched a little bit on negotiating, uh, whether it be price points for things like vehicles or houses. Um, I think one thing that you touch on is fighting for your income. Can you elaborate a bit on that? Or do you have any strategies for negotiating salaries for young women who may feel uncomfortable speaking up in their workplace? I know, again, just going back to trends with women in general, I don't want to overgeneralize, but um, women are much less likely to kind of negotiate their salaries right off the bat in the workplace or just engage in negotiations in whatever capacity? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think it's really important to note that, first off, uh, whether you believe it or not, the stats still show that young ladies and women make about 20% less than their male counterparts for doing the same jobs right mm-hmm. here in North America. And those stats are 2013-2014 numbers. So yeah. they're, they're not ancient. <laughs> um I think that's wrong, and I think it's because of it, um, young women have to be particularly more uh, conscious of saving for their future because they're making less and they're spending it at about the same pace as their male counterparts, which means they're not saving as much as their male counterparts, ideally teeing them up for potential poverty in retirement, which Mm -hmm. is very bad. And it's why women are still the most impoverished segment in retirement. I think that's just really frustrating. And one of the ways I always recommend young women deal with this to make sure that they fight for their salary in the workplace. And it starts with making sure that you understand what the market rate is for your job. Mm-hmm. So a little a little bit of research, competitive offers, um, those those can be very helpful. And then it start. Then you know the next step is making sure that you're asking for what you want. And I can tell you that it's a lot easier to ask 
for what you want when you're doing a good job. So it's important to document the work that you're doing that's been great, highlighting the things that you think you've excelled at, and making sure that you're communicating the plan for how you want to continue to grow your career. Without communicating and essentially tooting your own horn, in the non-arrogant way, of course, <laughs> nobody, nobody knows what you're capable of and what you've done. And um, your generalization that women don't, I guess, pipe up for themselves in the workplace is is not just, it's not a generalization. It's actually the, the facts. Yeah. And um, don't tell me why. Like, I can't, I can't tell you why. Like, it's a, Maybe we're socialized that way. I, I don't actually know. You could probably run a social experiment to figure it all out, but I'm not a social psychologist. <laughs> all I know, all I know, is that that um, young women seem to have a particularly hard time standing up for themselves and their salary in the workplace, and that has to change. And it starts with finding a way to communicate the facts about your work, including your salary, competitive salary, and your performance. Mm-hmm. I was at a conference in late 2013 and I heard um, a woman marketing executive speak at that conference and she brought up this really interesting point that in her experience and research that she had done, she found that men got promoted based on what they said that they were going to do whereas women would get promoted based on what they had done in the past. And the reason she brought it up was to encourage all of us to ensure that while we're in salary negotiations, that we're talking very clearly about the contributions that we will make in the future to our organizations and not to forget our plans for the future. Interesting, very interesting. Yeah, I was reading an article recently, too, about um, you had said that women still in general are getting paid like 20% less than men. And it was saying that one of the contributing factors to that isn't even necessarily there being like a gender bias. It's just that men are like 90% more likely to negotiate their salary off the bat, like right off the bat when they Mm -hmm. get an offer, whereas women will just take what salary is offered to them. And that's one of the contributing factors to why men on average are getting paid more than women because it starts very at the base level when they first enter an organization, right? Yeah, absolutely. So it's yeah, so interesting. Day one, making sure you know what you, the sal- or what the pay band is for a particular job and making sure that you're getting paid that. Yeah, that's such great advice. Um, another important element that you've touched on uh a few minutes ago here, but you also touched on in your book is uh, like finances and relationships and being financially smart in a relationship. How do you have any like a few tips on how women can be smart in relationships with their finances? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first off, it's important to note that the person that you ultimately form a household with and and potentially marry or live common law or whatever your taste is, that decision will have the greatest financial impact 
of your entire life. And that's because you will be influenced at every point Mm -hmm. and affected at every point by how they spend their money, how they save, what their values around money are, and it will perforate into your ability to save for your future, to go on trips, to raise your children in a certain way. It has the greatest impact. And so, therefore, it just shouldn't be taken lightly. So for women in relationships, um, I have a couple pieces of advice. (laughs) And um, first off, it starts if you are thinking about entering a relationship, you do want to get a sense for whether or not that potential partner of yours is at all keen to save for their future and whether or not they care to take care of their finances. And that's important because if they don't take care of their finances now, how is it that they're planning to take care of their finances in the future? Mm -hmm. You just don't want to get yourself in a position where, surprise, in four years from now, you're married to somebody and you find out that way back in the day they had a bankruptcy or um, they weren't responsible with their money and therefore cannot help contribute to the new down payment for a home that you want. So having a money conversation kind of early on without like creeping them out, you know, you can have a light, <laughs> light conversation is really important. Um, and I recommend that you, you know, you start kind of going towards that subject on your third or fourth date, not third or fourth month. <laughs> and, you know, you don't want to waste your time and um, you don't want to waste theirs. So into the relationship, though, it's really important that you and your partner have regular conversations around your finances. And sometimes couples do this through a weekly budgeting. So they sit down, grab a cup of coffee or a glass of wine, and they actually go through their budget and just reconcile where they are to where they plan to be. And that often forces the money conversation for the good. And even though sometimes you have to talk about tough stuff like, hey, you overspent or, um, you know, we're over or we're under our budget, um, which is a good thing, mm-hmm. it, it just spark, it sparks the conversation, which is really critical. So that will help shape the tone for the focus on making sure that you're protecting your finances early on. It's also really important to have clear discussions around joint accounts or separate accounts, saving for retirement, how you plan to do that. If you have children, how do you plan to save for their education and buy a home, etc. So these are big items that need to be discussed and it all starts early, early, early on in the relationship by setting the tone that, hey, saving my money is important. What about you? Yeah. And I think that's one thing that's very much so overlooked. Like personally, I, um, have, I can't say that I've ever had that conversation on like a third or fourth date with someone, but mm-hmm. I'm much more cognizant of it now <laughs> to mm-hmm. bring it up in a casual fashion for sure. Yeah. And I think the way that, um, my partner and I did it was we, it was just really casual you know, I I think I started it with something along the lines of, uh, you know, I've been really careful with my money for many years, and uh, I really value 
that has been able to afford me a lot of options in my life. What about you? (laughs) (laughs) So it was really, really simple. And nothing, um, no finger pointing, just simply starting that dialogue a little early. Yeah, and I mean, I think people oftentimes are afraid to have those conversations because they're uncomfortable. But at the end of the day, if you're upfront with expectations and have know exactly what you're getting into, that's going to help to um, mitigate any challenges later down the line when you're a lot more invested or committed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's really great. Um, All of these, okay, so all of these things are really essential facets to people's lives, whether it be their jobs or their relationships and how money is integrated into them. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about uh, MeVest, which is going to be launching very soon here, which is the online platform dedicated to helping people reach their financial potential? I'm guessing that a lot of things that we've talked about today kind of come or will fall into this program that's online, but I'm really excited to hear about it and um, yeah, I know our listeners as well, like this is going to be a really great tool for them. So can you tell us a little bit about it and what's in store sure. for us? Sure. Um, MeVest is an online money school and it is an extension of my work to date in the realm of financial literacy. And what I wanted to do with MeVest is take a lot of the big concepts uh, that I think are important that I've written extensively about in my books and boil them down into online content for everyone. So at any point in time, whether you're on the bus commuting home or you're on holidays in Hawaii, you can quickly log into your MeVest account and get some excellent objective resources around your money. What MeVest does that a lot of businesses do not do is MeVest offers um, financial literacy training in a way that is hip, it's slick, it's a lot of fun. And yes, you can Google anything you want about money and likely find an answer. Mm-hmm. But MeVest is taking real resources, trusted resources, and corralling them into a place where our learners can actually get objective opinions and thoughts and advice and skills around really important subjects like saving for their future, you know, what to think about when they're forming a household with someone. And it's also based on the concept that there's three important areas of your life and your personal, your financial and professional pillars, as I like to call them, mm-hmm. need to be equally strong. So how you make decisions in your personal life, it's going to affect your bottom line, like we've already talked about. If you lack the skills financially to properly budget and save for your future, you're going to likely not have enough when it comes time to retire or potentially pursue a dream that you've had for many years. And then professionally, of course, if you do not have the ability to understand your income earning potential, fight hard for your salary, you're going to be challenged to achieve your potential, your income earning potential at work. And, you know, the other facet of that is it's important to ensure that you're doing the things that you love so that you're attracting the right level of income. 
So Amoebist is looking at all of those areas. I'm very excited about it. It'll be launched in the fall of 2014, and uh, we are we're thrilled. We've had lots of great uptake with um, with our subscriber base so far, and I think it's just going to continue to grow. That's awesome. So can you tell us what's the URL for people that want to find out more information or subscribe to it? Sure. It's mevast.ca, so capital M, small e, capital V, E-S-T dot C-A. Awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to join it as soon as it launches. I definitely Yeah, will. yeah. And, you know, for your listeners, if anyone has questions about it, they can send me a direct message, tweet at Leslie Scorgi or an email about it, um, and it's leslie-ann at mevest.ca. So I'm I'm willing to answer any questions, but uh, a lot of the information is going to be up on the site in in no time flat. So really excited that Reese, you'll be part of the Mevest community (laughs) and also hopefully your followers. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll put your information uh, below this interview as well. So just so people can directly click on it and tweet with you and start some conversations or email. Um, So I guess that brings our interview to a close. I just have one last question for you that I ask all of our, um, all of the guests that we interview on the show. So for the final question, what is your number one tip on how people can be more love noteworthy in their business or in their life? Um, final tip. Gosh, there's so many. <laughs> you know, I think it boils down for me to always, always ensuring that you're doing what you're passionate about. And, when you do what you're passionate about, dollars follow passion. So from my perspective as someone who's really concerned about financial literacy for young people, I I encourage that you make savvy choices with your money, but ensure that you're doing what excites you because when you do what you are excited about, you'll be able to achieve your potential because you're going to be more inclined to do so. So that would be my, 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 I guess, concluding tip. And I just have to add one more. Yeah, of course. And it's that from a financial perspective, the moment you hear this interview, <laughs> you should go out and start saving for your future because time is the most powerful ingredient in getting yourself ahead financially. The earlier you start, the more successful you're going to be long-term. Awesome. Thank you so much, Leslie. Um, And I have a challenge for our listeners. Uh, I like to do challenges for each of the interviews. So our challenge today is tell us one action that you can take from this interview that will help you with your financial planning for the future. So please put your comments in uh, the comments box below. We'd love to hear your feedback, follow up with you. And of course, um, as we noted before, MeVest will be launching very shortly. And so definitely take advantage of this amazing online platform that you can log into on your computer and your smartphone while you have a couple minutes throughout the day to really, again, invest in yourself. So Thank you so much, Leslie. I really appreciate talking to you today. Thanks, Reese.